0: Final Fantasy Weekly. I'm Drew Kreisman.
1: And I'm Ira Kreisman.
0: And on this episode, we continue our conversation on the plot themes, characters, and wild events of Final Fantasy VII. When last we left our heroes, everything had gone to hell?
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, pretty much. That's the technical term for exactly what happened. (laughs) I believe
0: that's right. So. Cloud is missing after having gone through this entire ordeal where Sephiroth is either totally messing with his head or just showing him true memories, or a bit of both, that led him to believe and or understand that he's not who he thought he was. So he's having an existential crisis, and we don't know where. He's missing, right? Tifa has woken up in a medical facility after she had also gone through this entire ordeal, uh, to find Barrett there explaining to her that she's been out for seven days. And kind of a lot has happened since then. Uh, essentially, Weapon, a giant Godzilla-like monster, has awakened from the Earth and is set to do who knows what. And also, Sephiroth has successfully... Summoned Meteor, what we were basically trying to stop him from doing this whole time with the black materia. Well, he has done it, and we can see this giant celestial body that has turned the entire sky red and is hovering over the planet of Gaia in an ominous, obvious, imminent death, doom, destruction event for everybody.
1: <laughs> yeah, that that is correct.
0: Yeah apocalypse right there. It's like Loki watching the planet fall down on everybody.
1: Yes. Absolutely. And Tiva says, so you know, what, what are we going to do? Do we have to give up? And, and Barrett says, well, first we have to correct the record. I think that's what Barrett says. Yeah.
0: <laughs> first, <laughs> these guys messed up a couple of things last episode, so let me right, clarify right. a few
1: yeah. things. Uh, the big thing I want to say is I mixed up Carnegie and Rockefeller last time. I guess it's because all rich white dudes look the same to me. <laughs> <laughs> so, so i i said it was carnegie who might have been responsible for the ludlow massacre it was not uh, it was in fact john d rockefeller a part owner of colorado fuel and iron company who is widely blamed for sending for calling in the colorado national guard and sending in cf and i's private guards this corporation with private guards shinra i don't know mm-hmm. uh, sending these groups in to attack the 1200 or so coal miners and their families 21 people died. This happened in Ludlow, Colorado, known as the Ludlow Massacre. Andrew Carnegie got rich off his steel mills, uh, notoriously dangerous places to work. He was publicly in favor of uh, workers' rights, but he also brought in the Pinkertons, which are also private guards, to break up the strike at Homestead Mill. He was a notorious union buster, which means busting heads. He may have been a war profiteer during the Civil War, I hope I'm recalling that one correctly because I don't want to do another correction now. <laughs> you're going to have to do another one, man. Right. And and to his credit, he had regrets later on and gave away almost all of his fortune late in life. And even more to his credit, he is not responsible for the Ludlow Massacre. So
0: Right. It's funny. We were talking about does it matter how you're remembered? Does it matter what your legacy is? And I was saying, well, don't blame me for some stuff I didn't do. And then we almost did that. So <laughs> Yep.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Uh, so so Absolutely fair there and uh some Jupiter's legacy parallels for anyone who's watched that show I'll leave it at that for now
1: all right yeah like you said Tifa's woken up in what appears to be a medical facility it might also be sort of a cell and I think I said last time they were still on the airship they're not they're in Jenin the place with the giant cannon uh and Rufus comes in because when you own the town you can just walk through any door you want whenever you sure. want he says, you know, there's there's only one more important thing for you two, Barrett and Tifa, to do. Heidegger comes in right after him and says, Mr President, preparation for the public execution is complete. Yeah. They're planning on executing Barrett and Tifa. Uh, so they are bound by their wrists and they're marched through Jenan through this it's it's not a tower in the same way Shinra Tower is, but it's several floors of corporateness and and uh, militariness and eventually they're taken into this room that really looks like it's set up for a press conference there's all these folding chairs and there's a dais where and then there's the yeah. table and behind of which would the uh, sports stars would sit right and there's there's people in the crowd most of whom appear to be shinra people but maybe some reporters also one of them says oh miss scarlett why a public execution in this day and age and Scarlet says with the chaos resulting from media reports, we desperately need to rally public support. It's better that we punish somebody, anybody. They'll never admit it, but everyone loves this stuff, and I have to assume that comment is off the record.
0: Yeah, right, I know. <laughs> she said "I was like, whoa, uh, yeah, there's a lot going on there that I think is really interesting. One, I think this actually, if I'm putting on my logical, okay, can I step into the shoes of Rufus Shinra? Does that make sense? Can I They're do very that? Very nice shoes. Very nice shoes. Very expensive. This makes perfect sense from his perspective. Even if he has undergone like some kind of babyface turn here, and he's maybe a little bit more on the good side, because he recognizes, okay, we have to protect the world from meteor and from weapon, which does seem to be a little bit where his head's at. He also is like, well everyone's going to be really mad that this is happening. And all I can do to maybe placate the people in the meantime while we solve the problem is get rid of a couple of low-level eco-terrorists from back in Midgar who nobody's ever really heard from. We'll blame them, and then I'll, I'll fix the problem, right? It actually makes a certain amount of sense
1: it from does. his
0: perspective. Um, and then Scarlet has that line about how people eat this up, which is one of those things you have to keep asking yourself and you know how much of our entertainment is built on looking at the misery of others. And there's always been that question of, would we get back to a gladiatorial state? And, uh, you know, what's that Arnold Schwarzenegger movie?
1: Oh, uh, the running, running man.
0: man. Yeah, exactly. You know, those kinds of things like death for entertainment. And there, that's been a thing not that long ago, even in this country, and so it's like, and I should say, because there's people listening to this potentially in other countries, in the United States of America, where we are, but it, the worst, or best, I should say, villains oftentimes have a point to make. That, that really twists that knife. You don't want to hear them have a point to make. And when she says, hey, man, the masses really do like this execution stuff, she's probably not 100% wrong. And we've all got to ask ourselves... What that's about.
1: So Scarlet decides to kill Tifa first. I think Scarlet really doesn't like Tifa, but I'm not yeah. sure why.
0: There's Yeah, she seems to have very clearly developed this. And I fear that in the original game it may not have gone much farther, deeper than you're a woman, I'm a woman, we're occupying the same space and so I hate you. I hope it's more... <laughs> Uh, nuanced in the remake, as it were. But yeah, I think that's one of the things they're really trying to get across in this scene is that Scarlet has a personal hatred for Tifa for some reason that isn't made clear.
1: (laughs) So just off this, what appears to be a press conference room to me, there is a gas chamber. It's Scarlet's special gas chamber, and that is Uh, messed up. You know how you do. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah uh so tifa gets dragged in there and shoved into a chair and strapped down and then scarlet just slaps her just right across the face Ew. calls her a
0: stuck up bitch
1: yeah uh,
0: <laughs> excuse me i'm gonna regret that later
1: Tifa's strapped down and scarlet goes back out into the room and says the show's about to begin but before the show can begin there's a red alert because weapon is approaching military personnel take your positions and everyone runs out of the room and starts to take their positions uh, except this one weirdly shaped reporter person maybe and it's Kayot Sith <laughs> and he approaches Scarlet and gases her I think it's sleeping gas or something she yeah. collapses and Barrett is released and he and Kayot Sith fight off the guards and then Barrett says wait aren't you a part of Shinra and Kayot says, is like yeah but I'm not really into capital punish- punishment yeah. Besides, I hate this lady. She's nuts. Yeah. Like, <laughs> just,
0: I, I thought that was kind of funny and, and, and interesting as well. We've talked about them trying to like carve out this special place for K- Sash, whoever's running him, and we'll get to that. But, yeah, it's like he also has a personal vendetta with Scarlet. Like, this whole thing is like breaking down, where it, it was like Avalanche versus Shinra or whatever, all this stuff. And I was just like, I don't like her, though. <laughs>
1: well yeah i mean the the people in charge are really pretty i mean you were just talking about maybe rufus has had a bit of a baby face turn but everyone else is really pretty slimy and gross yeah right and he and hojo
0: were just having he was just like calling him a second-rate doctor and all this stuff it's yeah. like they're, it's not
1: a, they're not a cohesive bunch are our villains so they try to break Tifa out but it's not working and Scarlet says you fools I've already pushed the switch even though she's asleep so maybe she's just really groggy I guess (laughs) and then we get a scene cut and it's Heidegger who runs into that giant boardroom where Rufus stares out these windows and like the light is coming in all dramatically and he's just standing there uh, looking cool contemplating
0: in a cool way (laughs) yeah yeah
1: and he flips his hair because that's right. the kind of guy he is. Yeah. And he orders Heidegger to fire the big cannon at Weapon, which is, like, the <laughs> obvious thing to do when you're in Jönan, which has this giant freaking uh, just, cannon.
0: Wee wees. secret.
1: Weapon. So Jönan does this sort of transformer thing, like all these armored platings come up to cover the the windows and stuff, you know, so the armored part of the town. We don't even get to see what happens to, like, the, the little fishing village before uh, below the mm-hmm. the the fortress right. part of town. My guess is they don't come out well in what's about to happen. Yeah, but we get this really cool cutscene where all the you know the giant cannon is prepped and sweeps around to aim, and all these littler cannons come out, and these Shinra grunts mm-hmm. with bazookas get ready. It's
0: reminiscent of the Star Wars Death Star preparation scene right of all the Mm -hmm. stuff getting ready and the guys giving the signal and people pointing around looking everything that builds up to this
1: one big fire of the cannon and then the cannon fires and there's this huge explosion out at sea and rufus says did we get him it seems like it for a minute but oh, then, then the alarms go off again. <laughs>
0: no, better. This is before Independence Day. I was gonna say, didn't you guys watch Independence Day? You gotta, you, you gotta see that ship fall out the sky before you're sure of it. But no, this is actually a couple of years earlier. So.
1: so we get this cutscene of this giant swimming kaiju, and this weapon is very clearly not the same weapon that we saw that attacked the highway mm-hmm. above mm-hmm. the northern crater. So there is more than one weapon. Yeah. This one, I I don't know that they ever say it, but I think this one's supposed to be Sapphire Weapon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the one that we saw above the northern crater was Ultima Weapon no. for what it's worth but I, in either case a giant monster is swimming right for Junin. and Rufus says well shoot it again and Heidegger's like well we can't we gotta prep the cannon it's, we, it's gonna take several minutes it's a huge
0: cannon dude <laughs> takes a minute
1: so in the meantime they fire all the other little littler weapons the littler cannons at it the, the guys with bazookas fire their bazookas like you know that's a that is a good effort y'all
0: it's just appreciate the try. It's like again, it's like those scenes. This really is a classic Godzilla scene, where you know all the military are out there just firing away, and it's doing nothing. Just nothing. like it, just it's fireworks for show.
1: And so the the weapon, the the big monster generates this giant wave, which is why I'm pretty sure that fishing village beneath Jenin is utterly destroyed by all this. Because it mm-hmm. sweeps up on the decks of Junin and all the, the guys with their bazookas are swept away and, and fallen off into the ocean. And the whole city is just rammed by this weapon. And, and it shakes and it things are bad. And then we cut again. We're back in the gas chamber. And the gas is like spewing right in Tifa's face. And Tifa's got to hold her breath. And I hate it when they do these in video games and movies because I feel like I need to hold my breath at the same time. and It right. never works. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh totally. So ks says says, "All right, we got to run to the airport." And barrett's like, "Are you out of your damn mind?" And ks says, "You got to trust me." And Bear's like, "I don't think I do, sir." Yeah. And I I kind of hate this trope, like explain your plan. Like it it would have taken another 3 seconds to say, "The airship's out there. Sid's been buttering up the crew. Let's get the airship. We can rescue her that way."
0: Yeah. Right. I, I agree. I, I I've never
1: liked that trope, so
0: hopefully in the remake this is cleaner.
1: I kinda hope that there's a lot of stuff with Kate Sith that is cleaner.
0: The entire Kate Sith arc and introduction and, and yeah, there's a lot like we talked about before, there are a lot of good ideas in there. The execution just wasn't great. And so that's why, you know that's one of the reasons why you remake something is to have a better execution of
1: a good idea. So we cut again, and now there's this news crew out on the deck, and uh, there's a, a woman who looks uh, very familiar who's talking to a camera uh, out on the deck reporting on the event. And as Barrett and Kay and Seth run by, she says, I know you're in a hurry, but uh, could I please have a word? And Barrett's like, you just said I'm in a hurry. And Yuffie's <laughs> like, don't make so much no- It's Yuffie. She says, don't make so much noise. It's me, Yuffie. I'll explain later. we got to get to the airport. Uh, <coughs> a little clunky. It's fine. we got to get yeah. the band back together. Sure so uh we cut again we're back to tifa in the gas chamber and there's this weird mini game where you got to like manipulate left foot right foot left arm right arm head
0: right moving her around to try to wriggle out of there and and get the key and stuff yeah yeah.
1: the guard dropped the key and she can get the key and then you got to get the key up up to the knees and the knees to the mouth and the mouth to the wrist Uh, and eventually she is able to uh, unlock herself and hit the button and make the gas stop and then Take a deep breath, I assume, because she's been holding her breath this whole time. Right.
0: I actually do like this scene, even though, again, I agree with your tone there, that they probably could have been executed a bit better. There's a couple things that are interesting about this. First time in the game that you've controlled directly outside of battle, anyone who is not cloud, which sort of gives it this uniqueness element. We've talked about how Final Fantasy VII has been an innovator in... Basically, the concept of there's not just one way to play a video game right? for so long, whether it's Mega Man or Castlevania or Mario or Metroid or Zelda or the early Final Fantasy games is like, this is how you play it. This is what you do. And basically, it just gets slightly more complicated on the premise that you started with. Run right, jump on stuff's heads. (laughs) You know, nothing wrong with that. But Final Fantasy VII is where, where they really start blowing up. Now you're riding a motorcycle. Now you're going down a mountain in a snowmobile and all of these things have different mechanics. And they just put this random thing in here. We well, you got to try to get out of there. And it adds to that anxiety where you're right. You, you feel like I'm holding my breath along with
1: Tifa. So we cut back to outside and the weapon charges up its breath weapon, its mouth beam and fires at Junin and, and gouges this giant gash through the town fortress. Fortunately, part of that is the ceiling in Tifa's gas chamber. So she's able to climb out and climb down the tower, essentially, and out onto the giant gun. A very helpful giant monster. Yeah, thank you, uh, Sapphire Weapon. That's fantastic. Appreciate you. So she she's just trying to escape, right? So she... But she's also being pursued by Scarlet, so she sort of runs out onto the barrel of the gun, which by the way is called Sister Ray. Its name is is right there in giant letters. Okay, fine. Yeah. So she gets out onto the, the barrel of this giant gun, uh, and there's nowhere else to go. So she turns to confront Scarlet and then they're gonna they're gonna have a fight, but Scarlet slaps her and the Tifa <laughs> slaps her back. And then there's a slap fight for some reason. There's this slap fight mini game that I don't understand.
0: Yeah, okay. The, okay, this is where we have to ask ourselves the really deep existential questions, I not, that's not what do you want your legacy to be long after you're gone, but that is, is this A hilarious? B kind of offensive C Awesome <laughs> D uh uh-huh. WTF Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny because this is one of those famous things from this game that isn't necessarily, you know, it's not famous like the Earth Death scene or like, you know, the opening with Midgar or or the ending or some of these other things. But why does this happen? And is the slap fight, Tifa's a remarkable fighter and Scarlet, is like a general or general adjacent
1: Mm -hmm. and that they're just
0: slapping each other in the face because they're both girls yeah
1: i don't like it i i think there might be ways to justify it or make it interesting but i i don't know It, it feels if it's not offensive then it feels non sequitur silly and i know final fantasy 7 has and final fantasy in (laughs) general has plenty of non sequitur silliness but this one because it borders so closely to potentially being because they're girls so they slap each other when it could have been hey we're on this we're basically on a on a 2d plane we could have had a a street fighter fight here right we could have gone full 2d fighting game for a moment if we wanted to have a little mini game right and instead we did this i don't like it
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I don't either. I do understand why there's some people that find a bit of like old school charm to it. At the end of the day, while I don't think it's great, I don't know that it's like we've talked about some of the things in Final Fantasy that can be a little bit harmful in terms of their stereotypes or lack of representation here or there or, or maybe awkward representation, as we talked about with Red 13 here. I don't know why people like it so much on the internet a lot of, like it's so funny and fun and quirky and weird and I and I get all that I guess there's a certain charm to it I can't imagine in the remake they're going to have the two of them just slap each other in the face over and over again until it's done like that's not
1: <laughs> Yeah, I would I would be surprised if that's what happens. Like I I can absolutely see Scarlet slapping Tifa after Tifa's been strapped into the gas chamber, because that's sure. awful and horrifying. Sure. A disrespectful
0: horrifying. slap yeah. across the face in a moment when you're down. Yeah, but... A slap fight? Yeah. Really? Tifa can, like, bicycle
1: kick people into oblivion. Right. <laughs> right. So... No matter who wins the slap fight, Tifa runs to the end of the cannon, and uh, just as the high wind raises up and and the the heroic music swells, uh, and Barrett throws a rope over the the side of the this airship, and Tifa runs and jumps, and she grabs onto it, and it's a good thing she's wearing gloves, because man, the rope burn! Right? And she she grabs the rope and she climbs up, and and Barrett helps her up, and they get away, and. You know, now, hey, we have the airship. And the airship crew is in on it. You go in and you're talking to some of the crew. And one of them explains that, yeah, you know, Heidegger was a real dick. <laughs> and, awesome. and we, yeah, we, what we wanted was to work on the Highwind. We didn't want to be fascist. We wanted to work on the airship, the greatest mm-hmm. airship ever. Mm-hmm. You know, engineered by and, and piloted by the great Sid Highwind. That's what we wanted. And so when, you know, when Sid came by and he was just as warm-hearted as I'd always heard. And I am mm-hmm. W- worm, a worm.
0: Our Sid? No, it's not. It's <laughs> wrong guy. Oh wait, it's different. You know our brother? Because
1: <laughs> both brothers were named Sid, Highland? Yeah, right. That'd be so my brother
0: Sid, and my other brother Sid. Mm-hmm.
1: Now we've got the airship, and and Sid welcomes Tifa aboard, and Yuffie is on deck being airsick, <laughs> and I and yeah. I can't help but remember that Aerith really wanted to fly on this airship. Mm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: There's that piece of promotional art we're
1: looking at. Never yeah, to actually be there and see it. She never wow. got to do it.
0: Also, you, you were mentioning earlier tropes that we're not big fans of, and, and I agree with you on that one there. There's an action movie, action show, action video game now, uh, as of this moment, 1997 trope that I really like, which is the person jumping off of the ledge into the flying machine, which is not something that people do in real life, jump, jump out of skyscrapers into helicopters.
1: Right. That would be a terrible idea.
0: <laughs> it's a terrible idea. But another 1999 movie that I'm thinking of, so a couple of years later, that really made this a, a huge action movie trope was The Matrix, of course.
1: Sure, yeah.
0: Right? So, But I, I love Tifa jumping off the edge of a giant cannon into an airship to escape.
1: Like, come on. <laughs> that that, is that, that part is cool. That is, that is really cool. Yeah. So, now that we've got the airship we can go anywhere we want. You can you can g- revisit all these other places. You can do some side quests. But the next, it's thing an open that hap- world game now, though. Right. It's not, but it's not fooling
0: really. you. It, it did an excellent job for 1997 of fooling <laughs> you into thinking you were in an open world, and deserves credit for that.
1: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But we need to get cloud back. So, uh, th- if you go to different places, you'll start hearing about this town called Medil which is another resort town, but this one is Hot Springs rather than a ski resort. So eventually you make your way to Medill, and you find out that this is the perfect place for old folks like us to live out our lives. That's what one of the guys says here in town. It's Florida. Right, exactly. Palm
0: Springs, basically.
1: There there are all these people who are like, oh, the stars are falling out of the sky. What are we going to do? There's a lot of people either prepping for the end of the world or sort of resigned to the end of the world throughout various towns that you can go to.
0: I mean, the entire sky has turned red and you can see the death object in the sky hurtling directly at your planet. It makes a certain amount of sense. You might just kind of resign yourself to the end
1: times. Sure, (laughs) sure. And I don't know if you've had this experience with wildfires in Colorado, but last year... Yeah. Right around this time, we had a big fire over on the book cliffs, you know, 30 miles from where I live, and ash was falling from the sky for three or four days, and the sun was just a red spot in the sky every day. It was...
0: I actually think I took a picture of that and sent it out on the FF Weekly Twitter feed and said something like, the day of Lavos is upon us or something, <laughs> because yeah. it, it really did look like
1: that, yeah. And it can be kind of, you know, I'm not... You know pessimistic about the universe in general, but the, it certainly didn't feel good and then we started school uh we were uh that that's when uh I had to go back to work and the school started and we had kids and like we y'all can't stay outside very long because air quality is real bad, yeah, breathing in death ash uh. yeah. so speaking of which we overhear that somebody washed ashore uh, a few days ago been here for about a week. Poor pokey-headed young thing. He was holding this really long sword. But the amazing thing was those weird blue eyes. He's up at the clinic, so of course the hot springs town has a clinic. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you know. <laughs> and and so we make our way up to the clinic, and we find Cloud there in a wheelchair. And he's there's a doctor and a nurse, and his condition is not good. Uh, can't speak. Can barely hold his head up. And the doctor says, uh, Yeah, he's got the most advanced case of Mako poisoning I have ever seen. He has no idea where he is or who he is he he can't speak Uh, and this is kind of like on the one hand, Cloud isn't dead on the other hand this strong, brave, confident JRPG hero is now catatonic in a wheelchair Yeah
0: this is a really interesting moment in the history of Final Fantasy, honestly, because we've never seen our hero brought down quite like this. And like you said, yeah, he's, he's alive, but how much is he really there, even? <laughs> and you're just like... Um, and even, and I actually had somebody message me about this, so I want to mention the wheelchair hero on Twitter... And, you know, she mentioned this was something that for, you know, people with disabilities to actually see him in a wheelchair and be able to, you know, recover from it and do certain things. We'll get into all that, but actually seeing in a video game, think about how many times you can think of the main hero of a game sitting in a wheelchair, having to deal with a, with a disability for a minute and you know, this is an interesting, and, and I didn't recognize it at the time necessarily as a as a kind of representation. Um, and it's not fully one because Cloud does overcome this, and so it's it's not the same. But still, seeing yourself in the hero of the game for a minute can be very powerful, even if it feels like this is a well, and and it is, uh, you know, this very troubling moment for Cloud. And and for our party to see him like that. But of course, the big takeaway that we're really about to dive into is that no matter Cloud's state, mental or physical, he is a hero. And that's a powerful statement to make, especially back in 1997.
1: It would be cool to have a full-on main hero character who was a wheelchair rider that'd be a heck of a thing
0: right wouldn't it professor x we we got into talking she and i were talking about stuff and you know she said it's kind of the go-to example and it's almost a little too easy these days but yeah having prof x in a wheelchair it's like that never really occurred to me because i'm not in a wheelchair but that's why representation is important you don't think about those things all the time but when you see yourself and go oh man I could be the professor of a school. I can be the leader of a team. You're like, damn right you can. What the hell? There's, yeah, love it. There needs to be more of that, in games especially. And since it's going to be a while before we get to it, I think maybe the best representation, because there is a, a main Final Fantasy hero who does acquire the disability, but it's not going away. Spoilers for Final Fantasy 15 is Ignis from Final Fantasy 15. You end up with someone who's gonna to have to deal with blindness for the rest of his life. And that I thought was incredibly compelling. And so, yeah, just more of that, please.
1: So, speaking of heroes who were wheelchair riders, there was an activist named Ed Roberts who uh, had polio and was paralyzed below the neck, who ended up going to Berkeley and became an activist. Uh, And one of the things he did was, you know, all those curb cuts where uh, sidewalks there's there's a cut out of the sidewalk so you can get to the crosswalk. Oh, sure. Those didn't used to exist. Right. So they had to make them there. There are these stories of like midnight raids of going around Berkeley and with sledgehammers and concrete and making their own. Apparently, some of those stories are a little overblown, but they're not all entirely false. And they just they advocated for making the world easier for people who uh, you know who are using wheels for whatever reason so hmm. on the one hand it was another light uh, warrior man damn right and it's, it's worth noting that when you design to uh, make the world more inclusive you make it more inclusive for everybody right so it's not just right people who are riding wheelchairs but also people using strollers or people who are you know maybe pushing a cart or whatever so yeah that is we've we've gotten off on a tangent but it's important sometimes to to recognize those things
0: yeah also for some reason cloud is talking about gears and stuff yeah yeah we're gonna
1: <laughs> so so tifa decides to stay behind with cloud right she's like i can't i can't leave him at this point but and and then you can go around and do things and one of the things you can do is come back and talk to tifa and cloud and cloud will do some he'll, he'll say he'll, he'll start babbling he'll say what number what number am i a billion mirror fragments small light taken angels singing voices zeno gears <laughs> yeah
0: also the million fragments sounds like some kingdom Hearts shit like mm-hmm. that is Ain't? some uh, yeah
1: yeah angels singing voices mm
0: yeah yeah we know this is when Cloud slips into Final Fantasy Tactics land, but it could also be that he's in Chrono Trigger, a bowling ball dreaming he's a plate of sashimi.
1: Yeah. So so Aerith has died and Cloud is catatonic and Tifa is staying with Cloud. So we're down three members. So we get back to the Highwind. We're trying to figure out what to do. And Sith says... <laughs> he says uh, that Heidegger and Scarlet are up to something. But he refers to Heidegger as yahaha and scarlet as kiaha ha those are their laughs,
0: <laughs> I, I, it's funny that that had happened because like right before reading that I had noticed that and I hadn't really for the rest of the game leading up to this point but she had been laughing more often and I had noticed her K at the beginning of the kiahaha and that he always had his yahaha what an interesting way to try to <laughs> <laughs>
1: I don't think sith has a lot of respect for the upper brass of shinra
0: yeah he clearly is sick and tired of these people which is actually really funny when you do know who he is
1: and, and right. the whole right so he says do you want to eavesdrop and of course we do so we cut to a scene in yeah. the shinra boardroom rufus is here and heidegger is here and palmer is here and reeve is here question mark no yeah. he doesn't say anything during the whole process but he's here and that might be important yeah. So Rufus breaks it down for us. We got two issues. One, we gotta destroy Meteor, and two, we gotta remove the barrier around the northern crater and defeat Sephiroth. Any ideas? And Heidegger Heidegger says, Well, the first problem is already solved. Meteor will soon be smashed to bits. The plan is already in motion. We're gonna we're collecting huge materia from each <laughs> meteor. God. These and, big, uh, I
0: know. Bigger gun. Bigger, big more yeah. big um i mentioned independence day earlier and for, his, his chef, for for those of a certain age and we all saw that movie around that time he's the presidential advisor who gets everything wrong that's heidegger the yep. military guy who's just like let's nuke it sir <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm not sure Every that's going to work Cindy. single
1: time yeah uh, yeah the 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 answer is always a bigger explosion yes right so Scarlet comes on the scene and says and explains that huge materia is high-density special type of materia made through compression process in maker reactors. The energy extracted is 330 times the strength of normal materia. We're going to gather these four huge materia and we're going to ram it into meteor and there will be a huge <laughs> explosion reducing meteor to bits. So, I just want to point out that she's been trying to get the huge Materia thing going since before Meteor was summoned. So, her plan was always to create, uh, you know, a nuclear weapon.
0: A big ramrod of nuclear magic power, yeah.
1: Exactly. Not not because she knew Meteor was going to happen, but just because she is a capitalist warmonger, and that is who she is.
0: Right. She's just now seen a reason to use it, so let's speed up production,
1: people. Exactly. (laughs) Money's not going to make itself. Oh, it's so craven
0: and disgusting. and
1: Yeah. (laughs) So Rufus, like you said, maybe having a bit of a face turn. You're going to ram Meteor? I think we've got the technology to do that. And Scarlet's like, first things first. And I'm like, no, Rufus's question (laughs) is important. (laughs) Seems logical to ask. And she's like, no, we just got to collect the huge material first. And Heidegger's like, I've already sent troops to, to Coral. So the places to get huge materia, they, they already got one. There's one in Coral, there's one in Fort Condor, and there's one in the underground or the underwater uh, laboratory. And he just sent troops to Coral. And that sets Barrett off, of course. So we cut back to the high wind, and Barrett's like, you know, what can they do to Coral that they haven't already done? we got to get there first and get a hold of the huge materia. I really hope in the remake they don't call it huge materia. they got to come up with a better name for this. Yeah, it, <laughs> it's like hyper dense materia i don't know if it's meant to be anyway <laughs> i
0: just i can't imagine them the, having these actors the incredible world and and believability that they've built huge materia
1: our heroes go to North Coral this is the former coal mining town where barrett grew up that is now this shanty town uh in the shadow of the gold saucer and they make their way out to the coral uh, to the coral reactor and this big train comes out of the reactor. It's like I don't think you could have kept that train in there. There's some weird perspective issues, you know, PlayStation One graphics. But yeah. uh, either way, they jump on the train. Uh, they jump on the second train, and then there's another mini game where you got to like move the levers right to catch up to the other train, and then you hijack the other train, and you jump from car to car, and you fight things, and something about trains is a metaphor. Uh, and you hijack the train. I
0: was going to say Final Fantasy trains mini game. I got gotcha. you. Final Fantasy yeah. VI train out the vector. Final Fantasy VIII has a train mini game pretty early on. Lots of trains. Yeah. All the
1: trains, ma'am. Trains. So we hijack the train, and there's a mini game to make it stop on time, which you can fail. So, if you succeed, the, the train will hit the brakes and will come to a stop just before it would have destroyed the shantytown. Or if you screw it up, it smashes through the shantytown and it is a mess.
0: Yeah, and then that's how the
1: Final Fantasy VII story ends, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> and no, the he... meteor strikes Gaia, and everyone dies.
1: Even even if you mess it up, you can get the huge material. You just gotta pay like fifty thousand gil to get it. Aww. yeah. So then next we go to Fort Condor. You gotta play that mini game again. There's the giant bird now. The giant condor is not just the egg is up there, but the giant condor is also up there. And our you know we're here to protect the condor. So uh, we play the mini game. You fight off Shinra. You protect the condor long enough for the egg to hatch, and a giant light of fire comes out of the egg and the condor falls from its perch and presumably dies and then a condor chick hatches from the egg and then you get the phoenix material, which would suggest that the condors are perhaps in fact phoenixes
0: yeah <laughs> it's, it's oh man final fantasy the only place where you go from this like really serious all this stuff that was just happening impending pending. End of the world, but before we can wake our friend out of this very serious coma and defeat the giant monster and the impending meteor crash into the planet, we got to do this thing with the condors and play this weird little mini-game or wake the thing, get this new piece of magic with the magic bird.
1: So with two pieces of huge materia in our regular-sized hands, we go back to (laughs) Medeal because we want to check on Cloud and Tifa and see how they're doing. And, and we get to the clinic, and there's a, a sudden earthquake. Like What? Why is there an earthquake? And Cloud says, they're coming. He <laughs> goes straight horror movie on us. Yeah. And he's suddenly the little girl from Poltergeist. Yeah. And there's, there's an earthquake, and we, we go out uh, of the clinic, and we see, oh, my God, the life stream is bubbling up through the earth right here in Medill. Why is that? And then, oh shoot, there's one of the weapons soaring around so, soaring around the skies up above. And this is, this is definitely the one that broke out of the northern crater when Sephiroth was given the black materia. So this is the Ultima weapon as opposed to the, I, again, I think the Sapphire weapon that attacked Jinnan. And it drops down into Medil and we fight it and we beat it, but it flies off after a bit. And for a moment, and we just played this trick, for a moment it looks like everything's fine. But then there's another earthquake, yeah, and and everyone runs away, and Tifa grabs the wheelchair, and she's gonna wheel Cloud out of here, and she's going down the path, and then no, there's just this giant sinkhole, and the two of them tumble down into the life stream, and as we all know, that is not good, not where you want to be, right? Well, maybe. Well, we're we're about to find out how maybe, the life stream. Isn't all that bad? I mean, there's Mako poisoning, right? But that's right. Not- Different. This is the life stream. Yeah, Tifa is floating in a black void. And she starts to talk, and she says, Cloud, where are you? And then maybe she's hearing voices, because she says, who is that? I can't, wait a minute. I don't know anything about that. I'd never do anything like that. She starts calling out the cloud, and she's sort of spinning around and uh, spiraling into the darkness. And then when she comes to, she's in this weird place. I, I tend to think of it as Cloud's memory scape. Uh, there's sort of this hub, and it's kind of a hill and it's sort of the, the greeny greedy white that uh, sort of exemplifies the white stream or uh, the life stream excuse me and then there's these three branching areas and there's three clouds sitting nearby all faintly translucent and then there's one that's really translucent way in the foreground and the three sitting in the cloudscape the scape, are just sitting there but the one in the foreground that you can pretty easily see through and maybe forget is even there appears to be in pain is writhing
0: yeah, yeah, uh, this is really weird and cool and interesting and challenging in, in a lot of ways, right? Like, just looking at these images and everything that is about to transpire here, but just that, like, if anyone's ever played Psychonauts, that's like the only other thing I can really think of. You know, and there's some other wild anime and JRPGs and stuff like that too that, that sort of go in these directions, but I feel like a lot of times those will start to feel really ungrounded and out there, and, and that's fun, and I'm, I'm I'm all for it. I really am. <laughs> but there's something deeply unsettling about this, right? Going inside of Cloud's subconsciousness.
1: So Tifa stands up and she looks around. uh, And like I said, there are three different versions of Cloud, but only one of them will respond to you. Uh, So she approaches and, and speaks to him. She says, what is this? Is it a dream? You're subconscious? You're searching for yourself. I can help. We'll work together to get the real you back. And so this version of Cloud stands up, and and the two of them walk toward this one section of his memory, and it's the gates of Nibelheim. Five years ago, Sephiroth passed through these gates, and that's how it all started.
0: I was going to say, we've been here before. This is one of those, I keep finding myself here, and going back to last episode, who was the hero? And when did they come to town? And how did they get there? We feel now in the middle of this remarkably complex and interesting story. All of these characters that we care about, who are now under impending doom from multiple sources, giant monsters, rock falling from the sky. And we've arrived back at the central question. How did this all start? How did we get
1: here? So I was, I was about to say this is our third and final telling of the Nibelheim incident, but that's not really true. It's like true for the game.
0: Except,
1: yeah, right. It's the final in-game telling. Right. 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 <laughs> yeah. So for yeah. now, we're about to find out how it really happened. So we start with the gates of Nibelheim. Tifa says, let's go have a look. I know it's not going to be easy, but I'm here for you. And they go into the memory. Tifa looks around and she says, yeah, this is Nibelheim. This is the Nibbleheim I remember. There's Pops Inn. Uh, you know, here's, the, here's the only truck in town, she says. It's been here all our lives. It's like they, somebody parked a truck here and it's the only vehicle in town and it's been there since <laughs> they were kids. Uh, sure. You know what? There's a comment there about the haves and the have-nots. Yeah. yeah. So she says, this is my Nibelheim. Uh, it's the same one you remember, right? That's why it's our Nibbleheim. And then she says, five years ago, two men from Soldier came, Sephiroth and a young, vibrant soldier. Can you tell me what happened? And it's just what we've seen before. Sephiroth comes into Nibelheim. He turns around. He addresses Cloud. He says, how does it feel? It's your first time back in your hometown. I wouldn't know. I've never had a hometown. That whole thing again. But Tifa interrupts. And she says, five years ago, I saw the real Sephiroth for the first time. I remember a foreboding about him. And then Cloud, in his usual you know, cloud, soldier, first class clothes, walks up with a couple of grunts. And the subconscious Cloud, the the one that's accompanying Tifa in this memory, turns and walks into this memory of Cloud, and Tifa says, No, 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 this is not right. I've been hiding it. Afraid that if I told you something terrible might happen, but I'm not going to hide it anymore. And the screen blinks, and everyone else goes away but her and Cloud, and she says, You weren't here. Cloud did not come home to Nibelheim five years ago. I waited, but you never came. And so the memory restarts. Sephiroth approaches, and then it's the black-haired dude with those grunts. And then it fades out, and then we go back to the memory escape. I'm pretty sure it's meant to be Cloud talking, but it's sort of disembodied. It doesn't have his name in front of the, the speech which I think is meant to imply like he's still figuring out who he is, right? Where he came from how he came to mm-hmm. town. So he says, you mean that member of soldier who came with Sephiroth wasn't cloud. So go to another memory, the starry night at the well and our promises. What if the memory was just a lie? Tifa says, don't hurry. Don't answer too quickly. Just keep checking all those small emotions and it'll come back little by little. The heavens filled with stars so we're back at the well and it's it is it really is a beautiful scene even by playstation one standards it's just gorgeous man yeah we've got adult cloud and adult tifa standing at the well and the child versions sort of fade in and we get this scene again Uh, they don't play the dialogue but it's just the two of them there and tifa says oh you were so small then and cute and then she says sephiroth said That cloud made up his memories by listening to my stories. Did you imagine this sky? No, no, you remembered it. The stars were beautiful. That's why I kept thinking you were the real cloud, because you described this event. I still believe you are the cloud from Nibelheim, but you don't believe in yourself. These memories aren't enough.
0: When she says, you don't believe in yourself, again, like, what does speculative fiction do for us? It takes a thing we've all felt in our real lives, it's maybe a bit more mundane than this, where someone isn't literally inside of our subconscious telling us that even if we're not quite as cool and amazing and awesome as we thought we were, there's still a reason to believe in yourself. Like, that is so remarkably powerful. To say to somebody in, in this moment, and so we talked about it last episode, but this is now the ultimate role of of Tifa in this part of the story is to kind of rescue Cloud from his own self doubt and and crisis of confidence that is very legitimately brought upon by very legitimately not knowing who he is, and you know even though she can't give him all of the answers for her. To in that moment say you've got to believe that you're more than just this puppet thing that sephiroth tells you otherwise we can't go anywhere it's such a remarkable symbol for what each one of us has to do before we can start to
1: build upon ourselves so we're back in the memory escape and Tifa's is trying to figure out how to convince cloud that he is a real person who really was her friend back in Nibelheim, back when they were 10 years old or whatever. And and I feel like some of this is a little clunky, but I think it gets to the point it's trying to make. She says, what about your other memories? No, not memories. A memory is something consciously recalled. That's why sometimes it can be mistaken or wrong. It's different from a memory locked deep within your heart. That's why it must be a fake. If he could recall that memory, that's it. What about some memory that has to do with me? If I say something and you can't remember it, well, then it's false. But if you say something and I remember it too, well, then we'll know that's a real memory. Talk to me. Talk to me about anything. Some important memory to you. Now that you mention it, why did you want to join Soldier? I always thought it was a sudden decision. So here's where we start to get into it. The memory, uh, that means a lot to Cloud. He says... I was devastated. I wanted to be noticed. I thought if I got stronger, someone would notice. You wanted someone to notice you? Who? And the, the answer here, I think is obvious. Uh, <laughs> I, think, I think it's right. obvious to everyone but Tifa. Right, it's one of those. And, and he says, you. And she, you know, why, why me? Cloud says, Tifa, did you forget about those days? And now it's Tifa's memory who's maybe a little faulty. She says, I'm I what are you talking about? And then there's this cloud version, or excuse me, this child version of cloud, and, and that's the one that speaks next and says, No, it's all right. You were having a hard time back then. You were so busy with your own things, it's only natural you don't remember me then. It's important to me. I hate to say it, but it's a very important memory. Do you want to see it? so we get to the the third branch in this memory escape and it's a window looking to a house and tifa approaches the window and she looks in and it's it's her room in her house in Nibelheim. cloud says it was my first time there and there are other kids in the room and they we get that cool transition and now we're in tifa's room and we're looking out the window and we see cloud running up the lane and some of the other kids are looking out saying hey hey look it's cloud cloud's coming do you think he wants to come in So Tifa explains, yeah, we live next to each other, but I didn't really know you that well. I've known you since we were kids and always thought we were close. Now you mentioned it, I don't think you'd ever been in my room before. And child Cloud says, yeah, Tifa always used to have her own group. And Tifa starting to come back to her. She says, oh, yeah, that's right. Cloud says, I thought they were all stupid. We were all childish, laughing at every stupid thing. And Tifa says, well, yeah, we were children and cloud 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 gets he's like yeah i know i know i was the stupid one i wanted to play with you all but you never let me in you never let me be in the group so i started thinking maybe i was different that i was more mature than you childish kids i thought maybe and then a third cloud appears it's just a shadow of cloud just a dark it's it's clouds it's adult clouds polygon figure but all in black and that one stands up and says i thought maybe they would invite me in I thought that might happen, so I hung around. That night, I invited Tifa out to the well. I thought she'd never come. I thought she hated me. And and Tifa admits, Well, it was kind of sudden. I was a bit surprised. It's true we weren't that close, but after you left town, I thought about you a lot. I used to wonder how you were doing. If you'd gotten a soldier, I read the newspapers thinking I might read about you. And then she says, You know, referring back to the room we're in now, she says, was there something special about this day? And then she remembers, this was the day, this was the day Mom died. So we switch scenes to the Nibelheim Mountain. And Tifa and her friends are there, and Cloud's not there yet. And she says, I wonder if there's anything beyond that mountain. The kids are like, no, no, Mount Nibble is scary. Lots of people have died there. No one makes it through this mountain range alive. Tifa says, well, how about those who have died? You think Mom passed through these mountains? I'm going. Uh, And she starts going up the trail to Mount Nibble, and, and I think there's three other kids, and two of them follow, and one of them doesn't. One of them's running back as Cloud comes running up. Uh, and he hurries after them to, to go with Tifa because he wants to be with the group, right? He wants to be part of this group. And they, they go up. We've we've gone up this path before when we were with Sephiroth in that memory, going up to the reactor. Uh, and you get to that swinging bridge, right? And two of the kids, the, the other two kids are like, nope, not doing that. But Tifa just goes and Cloud follows. And then it fades out and Cloud explains, Tifa missed her step. I ran to her, but I didn't make it in time. We both fell off the cliff. I only scarred my knees, but... And so I'm reminded, of course, of when this happens uh, when, you know, in the memory when Tifa's in her cowboy hat. Yeah. And, and, and he catches her, right? Yeah. And then I'm reminded of every single time in the remake when yeah. someone's about to fall and, and somebody else grabs him by the wrist. Or, or when Dine falls, right, and Barrett grabs him by the wrist. It's that recurring metaphor of when you fall. Yeah, I'll be
0: there to catch you. And there's also this recurring motif of the scraped knees. He had this memory when he first fell through the church and was unconscious lying in Aerith's church. and He got this line of dialogue that had absolutely no context at the time. He said back then... I only had scraped knees. Like, what are you talking about? That this fall, that at the time was f- through the the plates, right, right from from the top of Midgar down into the slums and through the church, struck a chord with him in this memory of when he was a child, and he and Tifa both fell from a ladder. You know, and yeah, as we're you know learning this sort of guilt and not that Tifa died obviously we know she's she's still alive but the survivor's guilt that can come when you feel like you're supposed to help and or protect or you were trying to help and or protect somebody and they end up much worse off than you do
1: so they are eventually found a couple of adults arrive one of them picks up Tifa who's unconscious the other one blames Cloud Cloud, why did you bring Tifa to this place? What the hell's the matter with you? What if she dies? And they carry Tifa out, but Cloud's got to walk on his own. Yeah. And he explains that Tifa was in a coma for seven days. If only I could have saved her. I was so angry at my own weakness. I thought Tifa blamed me. I got out of control. I'd get into fights with anybody. It was the first time I heard about Sephiroth. I thought if I were strong like Sephiroth, then and we fade out of the memory and back into the uh, memory scape. And he says, if I could have gotten stronger, then even Tifa would notice me. And Tifa says, I'm sorry. If, uh, if I had remembered, we could have done something sooner. And Cloud's like, no, no, this isn't your fault. Yeah. But then Tifa has a revelation. She says, oh, I remember when we were, you know, when we were both uh, eight years old. This is it. This is the memory. Okay. You weren't created five years ago in some lab by some creepy, slimy, greasy <laughs> scientist.
0: Right. Now that we've you know, we're getting right. our emotional baggage out of the way. Remember, we were doing this to prove that you're a real boy. That's you're right. a real boy!
1: <laughs> yeah, we've, and she says, we've almost found the real you. Let's go back to Nibelheim. Alright, we're going to replay the Nibelheim incident one more time and we're going to figure this out. Mm. So... They run back into the Nibelheim memory. They stop and they look around sort of memory Nibelheim, and Tifa says, where are we going? And Klaus says, ah, the Maker Reactor, five years ago. So we're back in the reactor, and it's that creepy room with all the pods and the stairs and the the sign over the door that says Genova. in really dramatic script. And Sephiroth has (laughs) his giant sword, and he turns it against like a 14-year-old Tifa and slashes her across the chest. And in slow motion, she falls down the stairs just like we saw before. And this is where Cloud's supposed to show up with his buster sword, but of course it's not him. It's the black-haired dude. And Tifa says, hey, it's Cloud. And Cloud says, no, it's it's Zack. And we know Zack, or we know of Zack. We know a Zack. Uh, this. But now we've heard this name again. Yeah, yeah th- this is Aerith's Zack. So Zach. clever.
0: So, like, you could have maybe put it together if you were a remarkable sleuth back in the day and you were trying to find it, but that it just makes you just like, oh, oh, Zach, Aerith's old boyfriend that she had mentioned, and we had met his parents, and it just seemed like this person had been out there, and now we know. Of course, now Zack has his own game and is a very popular <laughs> character in the history of Final Fantasy. You don't get a ton of him in FF 7 but this moment, and he goes,
1: That's Zach. That, ooh. And and we're about to find out that Zach is a good dude. So so Tifa is like, Yes, okay, you remembered. And, and so we watch Zach pursue Sephiroth up, in, up into the Genova room. And Tifa says, Oh, it was Zach who came to Nibelheim with Sephiroth, not Cloud. And then Zach is flung out of the Ginova room. And Tifa's like, Wait a minute. We're still in the memory. Cloud, did you see this? Did you see it all? Cloud's like, yes. I saw everything. And a, a shadowy Shinra grunt comes into the, into the Genova into, into this weird pod room, right? All the um, hair on my arms is standing up right now. <laughs> <laughs> and and he, he sees Tifa, and then he goes up to Zack, and he takes Zack's sword, and he goes into the Genova room, and we see Sephiroth there doing his weird thing with his mother Jenova and ripping the head off the thing and the oil and the grossness and Shinra's grunt runs up there and stabs Sephiroth and Sephiroth says, ah! Because he just got stabbed. You're sure. (laughs) Unexpected. (laughs) (laughs) He says, who are you? And the grunt says, mom, Tifa, my town, give it back. I had so much respect for you. I admired you. And he backs off and he turns around and what pulls off do. his Shinra helmet. And it's Cloud. Ah. And Cloud was the grunt. So we mentioned before, oh, this Shinra grunt might be important later on through right. all these memories, right? And, and T- it's, this is a revelation for Tifa and Cloud both. And she says, that's what happened. You were there. It was you. And so we, we get sort of these scenes from the Nibelheim incident again, and it's Zach in his proper space now instead of Cloud, but also we're sort of focused on that grunt who is Cloud. And so we're back in the truck, right? And and Zach says, "Hey, Cloud, if you're feeling sick, why don't you take that mask off?" Remember, Cloud was talking to the, you know, was trying to be nice to the grunt, saying, "Oh, I'm sorry, you're sick." It was Zach talking to Cloud instead. Zach was his friend, right? Zach took care of him. This first-class yeah. soldier. Yeah. Right, Cloud is idolizing Sephiroth, but Sephiroth is cold. Zack is his friend. Zack yeah. is who he looks up to, right? Mm-hmm. And and so we get Cloud's memories. He's like, "Yeah, I, this is me. I never made it as a soldier. I was embarrassed. I didn't want to see anybody." He could have gone into town with his helmet off, but no, he kept he keeps that helmet on. Kept his helmet on. Right, he he was he's embarrassed. He's the one who tells Tifa she can't go into the reactor. He's the one who takes the picture of Sephiroth and Tifa and Zack. He took the picture. He took the picture. He took the oh picture. He, he went in to see if his mother was alive, but now, now he's lying. as He's the grunt lying outside Cloud's house, right? Yeah. He's there for all of it. He was the grunt keeping an eye on Sephiroth when Sephiroth is having his mental break in Shinra Manor. Damn. Yeah.
0: It... This really, I said it enough last episode, it's so brilliant. It's so, <laughs> it's really for good. all of the, you know, we talked about Kate Sith and how haphazardly that is done. And certain things in Final Fantasy that do just kind of show up out of nowhere. But why is this stuff so beloved? Why does it get so deep into us? Because of moments like this where you just go, oh, he was right there in front of our faces the whole time. They have now told this story three times, and this third telling makes perfect sense, as strange as it is. And you're like, oh, it's so clever, so brilliant, and so powerfully done. It's not just done to be like, ooh, look how clever we are at telling stories, and look how we can weave these things together and lie to you twice and then tell you the truth. It's all about self-discovery so that we, the player, can feel... What Cloud is feeling so that all of us together and Tifa have this, oh my God, I get it, and you are a real boy, and you do matter, and you are important,
1: and you were there. Yeah, that's the, that's the line for me. When Tifa says, you came, you kept your promise. You came when I was in trouble. <laughs> uh-huh. And and it's it's really great. And he apologizes. He says, I'm sorry I didn't get here sooner. He says, "No, Cloud, it's all right. You came, man." Uh, yep. So so that's the big emotional hit. And now we're about to get the badass hit. Yeah. Because, so Cloud sort of carries Tifa off to the side to get her out of out of danger. And Sephiroth comes out of the Genova room, holding Genova's head and his sword, and limping, injured, by this grunt. And, right. and he he limps out of the room and then Cloud's, or and then Zach says, Cloud, Cloud, kill Sephiroth. And he gives Cloud his uh, sword, right? Because <laughs> uh, okay. Zach can't do it. So he so Sephiroth is leaving and Cloud pursues him. And he and he calls him out, right? I I might have just like slashed him in the back or something. No. Yeah calls him out. Sephiroth turns around and impales him. He says, don't push it. And he, one-handed, right, wielding this ludicrously long sword, lifts Cloud up off the floor. <laughs> and then Cloud. Yeah. So so this, how exactly this next part happens depends on whether or not you're watching this scene or you're watching Which version. Last yeah. Order, is it? Yeah. Okay. Cloud grabs hold of the sword blade, Sephiroth Masamune, the longest sword, uh, you know, in the multiverse. And, yeah. and he reverses the leverage basically, and now he's on the floor and he lifts Sephiroth off his feet. And Sephiroth is like, I'm sorry, what now? Ex- and then, <laughs> <laughs> what is happening? And then flings Sephiroth off to the side, slams him into the wall. The sword comes out of Cloud. Uh, and it all falls down into the, uh, into the, I guess the the life stream below, or the, certainly the Mako, the liquid Mako in the bottom of the yeah. reactor. Yeah. Uh, so dude, dude. And so, dude. did he kill Sephiroth? When Sephiroth well, died five years ago, is that what this is?
0: That's what we're kind of led to believe here, right? Is that's how they had thought? Okay, Sephiroth had died. That's why we believed he had died. That's why no one's seen him in five years. Because this is what happened and dude yeah tell me that wasn't one of the coolest things you'd ever seen in your life in it was so cool yeah oh man when he just like i am impaled but i am going to lift you from the other end of the sword i just uh every time i see it, in every iteration in, in everything that it's been done in It never ceases to give me goosebumps that moment when Cloud just says, no, I don't bow to you. I do not die right here, right now, just because I'm supposed to, just because you're ultimately powerful and I am the grunt, just because you are the arm of super capitalist fascism, which isn't even what you're doing right now, but it's what you've been and I'm just some guy from a farm town who never made it as a soldier like no you hurt my mom you hurt my friend and I do not concede and it's just powerful and I I I every single one of us in 1997 stood up and yelled
1: yeah
0: <laughs> just yes
1: absolutely yeah so I would like to take a moment here to just put it all just like to lay out the timeline as best we know what happened so when these two were eight years old or so they weren't the best of friends i think tifa remembers them being better friends than cloud does but cloud really wanted to be part of the group right and and so he tried at first he tried to say oh it doesn't matter i'm more mature than them but then he kept hanging around and then he you know he thought that would be his ticket into being invited and it kind of worked But the moment where, the the day where he was really accepted as part of the group was her lowest day, the day her mom died. Uh, And he came in to be, you know, he came in to be a friend. And then she decided, you know, her mom just dies, she's not doing well, she's going to be reckless. And Cloud goes with the group, because he wants to be part of the group, he wants to be Tifa's friend. And then they fall, and Tifa doesn't remember this part very well, because she fell and was in a coma for seven days. But Cloud absolutely remembers. So we're good so far. They basically remember their childhoods a little bit differently, right? Yeah. So Cloud wants to be strong now. He feels guilty. So he decides he's going to be a soldier. And they have the promise at the well. He says, I'm going to go do this. And she says, when you're a famous soldier, you are come back and help me, right? Five years later, the Nibelheim incident. They come back to Nibelheim. It's Sephiroth. It is Zack. And it's a couple of Shinra grunts. Tifa was really hoping Cloud would be there. She's been thinking about him. She's been, reading, she's been reading the newspaper, trying to see if he's been a soldier. But he doesn't show up, because he's got his helmet on. They, uh, Sephiroth goes uh, into Shinra Manor. He has his mental break. They go to the reactor. They find Jenova. Zack and Sephiroth fight. Zack loses. Tifa wants revenge for her father's death. Tifa definitely loses. Cloud throws Sephiroth into the life stream. Is that basically what happened? Yeah. Count yeah. it. And that's why everybody remembers things a little bit differently. Tifa doesn't remember Cloud being there. Cloud definitely remembers being there. But his hero worship and his you know, getting messed up in the head and then imprinting on Zack makes him think he was in Zack's role. Sephiroth, I think, does not know that Cloud was there. I don't think he was lying to Cloud. I think he literally thinks that Cloud was made in a lab.
0: Yeah. And it also boosts Sephiroth's ego to believe that Cloud is just a failed attempt to recreate himself. Sure, which, sure. You know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but no, Cloud is a real boy. He did have a past and uh just got real messed up in the head after this whole Nibelheim incident, which is gone into in even further details as we've mentioned in in several other uh, pieces of media it, it is still left semi-ambiguous in this game really exactly how cloud came to imprint on zach came to believe that he was zach and what happened between that time and so you get a bit more of that and things like last order and crisis core and
1: well even in the remake because yeah because it, it really feels to me like cloud is kind of absorptive in his in his soldier skills yeah Right. Because he kind of rides a motorcycle the way Roche might rides a motorcycle, right?
0: Right, sure. Oh, yeah. he, he. Well, one of the things you learn early on is fake it till you make it. Go along till you're getting along. And, you know, he's just kind of imprinting and mimicking. And man, that's Cloud's real class. Cloud is go-go, confirmed.
1: <laughs> Excellent. It's just mimicking. All right, so uh, the, the memory clouds sort of walk into each other. Even the one that was in the foreground writhing in pain, they all sort of come into each other, and Cloud is whole again. And Tifa says, you jerk, you had us worried. (laughs) What's a metaphor? You know what a metaphor is? You understand a metaphor
0: being whole Uh again? You get it? Get it? (laughs) Again, we've we've all gone through trials and tribulations in our life and felt broken or, or incomplete and then had that moment where you don't anymore. And a lot of us really bought this as a, yep, that's how it feels. Fantastically, it is a fantasy story, but that's how it feels.
1: Cloud and Tifa sort of ascend through the life stream, and the, the rest of the party is there on the, the edge of this sinkhole in, in Medil, and they, the party is uh, as whole again as it can be. The scene cuts to the high wind. We're in that big meeting room, and Cloud has to apologize to everybody again he explains, you know, I was never a soldier. I left my village looking for glory, but I never made it into soldier. I was ashamed of being weak. Um, and then I heard this story from my friend Zach, and I, I created an illusion of myself in his image. And, <laughs> Barrett says illusion. you <laughs> damn strong for an illusion. And he explains, well, physically, I'm built like someone in soldier. Hojo's plan to clone Sephiroth wasn't that difficult. It was the same procedure they used when creating soldier. See, people in the soldier aren't just exposed to Mako energy their bodies are injected with Genova cells which suggests that the soldiers every soldier who's been injected with Genova cells is also part of the reunion yeah but weak people like me we get lost in this whole thing the combination of Jenova cells Sephiroth's strong will and my own weakness are created me are what created me I am Cloud the master of my own illusory wor- world but I cannot. Yeah, yeah, that that that's a that's a hell of a metaphor too. Oof. And you know it. It's
0: something that in our society, I feel like all of us... Well, most of us, I guess, <laughs> look down on conspiracy theorists, and then those who don't are conspiracy theorists. <laughs> you know, and it's it's really easy to kind of point and laugh at someone who I don't know believes that lizards are running the world or whatever. But. We are all the masters of our own illusionary worlds to some degree, right? We all paint narratives about what we believe and who we are, and we hope we can live up to those things. And sometimes it's just aspirational, and there's nothing wrong with that. But we all do this thing. And so, again, I think that's that last sort of exclamation point on, on his metaphor when he says... I am the master of this world that I created. It's like in some ways we are all that and there are ways in which it can be good and as we've seen here, there are ways in which it can be really self-destructive and you need to break that down and and recover from it and realize that the world isn't run by lizard people and and, and the world is round and and things like that, right? And, And you've got to get there, but it can be really easy to think, oh man, not me. Not me, I'm not. But yeah, we all kind of are a little bit.
1: So Cloud says, I cannot remain trapped in an illusion. I'm going to live my life without pretending. I'm the reason Meteor is following toward this planet. I have to do everything in my power to fight it. And Barrett says, good, so you're gonna fight to save the planet? <laughs> Cloud says, Well, it's like you always told me. There ain't no getting off this train. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and, and like everybody in the party says it And it's kind of fantastic it, Oh man
0: Hope you're not tired of the train metaphor
1: Because <laughs> it's
0: perfect <laughs> Boom